This morning we have a beautiful psalm to listen to and to think about. Psalm 45. The heading says, For the director of music, to the tune of lilies. I don't actually, I'm not actually going to do the tune of lilies, but when this was going to be put on, this is what was listed. The tune of the lilies of the sons of Korah. It's a wedding song. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from palaces adorned with ivy. The music of the strings make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of fear. Listen, daughter, and pay attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Hilary. Please keep your Bibles open there. Uh, We'll be flicking around a bit this morning. And that's how it is. Well, I think there is nothing like a good wedding. And in Psalm 45, we have a wedding. It's introduced to us at the very, in the title, which says uh, it's a royal wedding. Most of the titles you read in the Bible actually don't belong there. So when we read the New Testament, there's often little bits in italics that will describe something about the passage. Uh, they don't actually belong. They're just, someone's inserted them saying, we think this is what it's about. But the, the titles in the Psalms are actually part of the Bible. 
So this one is telling us exactly what it is. It's a wedding song. The previous psalm, uh, Psalm 44, if you look over there at verse 17, is not quite so happy. So he's talking about trouble, and it says, verse 17, All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. What came on them? Verse 22, Yet for your sake we face, all, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So there is the, the bad news of Psalm 44, the lows, and that's applied to Christians. We have these bad lives on the one hand. But then Psalm 45, we have this joy, this great thing, this wedding song. Uh, if we had a working screen, I would have showed you a picture of Colin and Sharon, who were standing there in their wedding gar- gowns, all dressed up to the nines with very happy, smiling faces on them. Why? Because their royals were getting married. The other side of the world, in England, but they were celebrating. It's a happy occasion. And that's what this is, a happy occasion. Well, I thought it'd be good. I I liked uh, Jeff Lynn's sermons the last few weeks. I hope you have too. Um, And I found his structure helpful, so I've adopted it. So we're going through three parts. What does the psalm say? I'm putting brackets about God. How does Psalm 45 point us to Jesus? And what does Psalm 45 ask of us today? There's um, three points are written in your outline. So firstly, what does Psalm 45 say uh, about God? Well, the psalmist reminds us that he's a skillful writer. So he's worth listening to. And he says, we read of a God who has blessed you forever. So we see the character of God in that, reflected in that, don't we? Because he's a stable God. He's not a God who shifts and changes. If you keep him happy, he'll stay happy. He, he's a God who has a plan and who sticks with it. He has blessed this person forever. And he also rewards people who love righteousness. Verse 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. But in that, uh, where I've written the outline of the sermon, you notice I put in brackets about God, because actually the psalm is not that much about God, is it? It's about the groom, the king. And firstly, it's about what he's like. Verse 2, you are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. And then we read the priorities that the psalmist calls for from the groom. Verse 4, in your majesty, ride forth victoriously, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. They're great priorities, aren't they? Truth, for example, not spin. See, it's not whatever is best for our country, whatever is best for America. And it's not like Superman. You know Superman's priorities? Truth, justice, and the American way. It's not that. But it's not just our leaders who have trouble with uh, truth, should we say. During the week, I received an email. It was asking me to do something. My first response was not, is this good? It was, how I tell Helen? I want to spin the story even to her. But this king, what, what the psalmist hoped for from this king is truth, justice, and humility. A great picture, isn't it? And we read the wealth of this king. 
Verse 8, all your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from palaces adorned with ivory, a great sign of wealth. And we read of the bride, not just the groom, but the bride is wonderful. Verse 11, let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Verse 13, all glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold in embroidered garments. She is led to the king. You may remember uh, Mary Donaldson, that's her name, isn't it? The lady from Tasmania, who, just an ordinary person like any of us, uh, happened to meet a man in, uh, in a bar in Sydney called Frederick. And suddenly, she's caught up in this amazing wedding, a royal wedding. And she's got this magnificent dress, not surprisingly. And that's the picture we see here of the bride and the groom. So in this psalm, we see this great picture of a a great and wealthy groom and a beautiful bride, beautifully dressed. But how does this psalm point us to Jesus? Well, the king in the psalm is Jesus. There's no one else. Of all Israel's kings in the Old Testament, we might look and say, who does it fit most closely? Well, perhaps it fits Solomon in many ways closely because he had fine clothes and marvellous words His words so impressed the Queen of Sheba when she came around. But in the end, Solomon wasn't righteous and his throne didn't last forever. In fact, the groom and the king in the psalm screams Jesus and how great he is. So verse 2, you are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace. Reminds us of Jesus who spoke so well that people were amazed. Do you remember in the Uh, when they're aiming to arrest Jesus in John chapter 7. Sorry, it's not on the screen. John chapter 7 from verse 45, which is on page 1072 of your church Bibles, if you want to follow along. Um, There are people who sent him along to arrest him. 7 verse 45, Finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. See, that's Jesus, isn't it? Lips anointed with grace. And then the wish for Jesus, verse 4, and your majesty ride forth victoriously in the, course, course, in the cause of truth, humility and justice. See, humility is not something that marks many leaders, is it? Often leaders look after themselves, perhaps their mates. But it reminds us of Jesus who looks after others. That's described in Philippians chapter 2, which again, if you want to follow with me, is found on page 1179. See, Philippians 2 verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, making himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the great thing about Jesus is he's not just powerful. He showed his power by rising from the dead, by the great wonders and miracles he did, as well as by his teaching. But he's also humble, obeying God, being willing to take that really low position to pay the penalty that we deserved 
such a shameful death, a death on a cross. And as we continue through the psalm, verse 6 goes on, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And we look at that verse and it's kind of jarring. You think, where did this reference to God come from? And of course, Jesus is the ultimate fulfilment of that, isn't he? For he himself is God. Now, I do want to say, though, that this psalm does not prove that Jesus is God. Uh, Throughout the psalms, often the word God is used of other people. For example, Psalm 82 verse 6 says, I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High. It doesn't prove that Jesus is God, but it is fitting, isn't it, that it points to him. And when we look at the New Testament, Hebrews 1 gives us a, a great example. If you flick to Hebrews 1, it's on page 1204. Uh, we'll just be there briefly. But in Hebrews 1, the author describes what's said about the angels. And then, from Hebrews 1 verse 8, he changes tack. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So there it is, Psalm 45 is quoted directly in Hebrew saying, this is, this is Jesus. So the Psalm shows us a happy occasion, a great groom who is Jesus, who's also a king and a happy and, and a beautiful bride, a great wedding. And that leads us to what Psalm 45 asks of us today. So where do we fit in? So it would be an honour to be invited to a royal wedding, wouldn't it? When we sit there and we watch the, the coverage of the royal wedding, we see all the people, the, the very important people, the good and the great, as they say, are all invited. It would be an honour to be invited to that wedding. But it's interesting We aren't just attending the wedding. See, the church, that is Christians, are, we're the bride. We together are the bride. Ephesians 5, which is on page, if you'd like to follow, 1176. Ephesians 5 from verse 25 describes it this way. Husbands, love your wife, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, the church is Jesus' bride. We aren't Jesus' second cousin who he has to invite because... 
well, you know, social conventions require that they invited us to their daughter's wedding and therefore we must invite. No, we are the bride and a love bride. Look at verse 25 of that Ephesians 5 passage. In the middle, Jesus gave himself up for her to make her holy. It's not that we are good, but that Jesus makes us good and gives to us. And verse 27 describes us, the second part. We are a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, that's us. We might not look that great, but the Christians are loved, cared for, radiant. And so back to the psalm, which spells out the priorities. See, one of the implications is a change in priorities. The psalmist wants us to know it's important and draws attention to it. He says, verse 10, listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Careful attention to what? Following on. Forget your people and your father's house. See, nothing may be wrong with those people. But she has a new priority, a king, a husband. Jesus describes our attitude this way from Luke 14, verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I remember when one of my children was diligently reading the Bible and and they came out and said, Dad, are we supposed to love people or hate them? That's exactly right, isn't it? We, we are supposed to love people. Jesus says that. says that often. But our love for Jesus is to be so much more that in comparison, it seems like hate. Forget your people and your father's house. There is a greater priority. See, it'd be wrong... For Mary Donaldson, after she got engaged to Frederick, to turn back around and go and visit her old boyfriend in Tasmania. And similarly, it would be wrong for us to put other things before Jesus. After all, he is that wonderful. He's a great leader and a great saviour and he cares for us. See, our relationship with Jesus must come before our family, must come before our friends, must come before our country, must come before our career and must come before our entertainment. Well, falling out of that, our response, right response is to honour Jesus. Verse 11 fills it out. Honour him, for he is your Lord. And of course, we honour him by obeying him. So obedience to Jesus must mark him. But as we honour and as we forget others, We must not think this is a one-way relationship, that we give stuff up and we get nothing back. But not at all. We'd remember our privileged position. Verse 12. The king of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favour. He's talking about the bride. Verse 13. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she's led to the king. Such wealth... Such extravagance. I was searching the internet this week for a dress that may reflect some of the beauty of this dress. 
And I found a website that said the 10 most amazing wedding dresses ever. But so far as I could tell, none of them were as amazing as this dress. None were embroidered garments. None were interwoven with gold. See, that's us. We are like that. What an honour. So as you think how we might promote carols this year, uh, it's good for us to remember that this reflects our priorities as Jesus' people. And it's obeying Jesus by promoting his name. But it's also good for us to remember why we sing joy to the world at Christmas. For Jesus does indeed bring joy, doesn't he? He brings great wealth and great honour to us because he treats us so well. Well, if you aren't a follower of Jesus here this morning, this passage brings a proposal. I don't know what you expected when you came here this morning. Uh, Often a proposal may be something we weren't expecting. And even if we are expecting it, it may still be a shock. During the week, uh, my nephew got engaged uh, to his now fiancé. And uh, as you do, you put up a photo on Facebook of the various things that happen. So we got a photo of the ring. We also got a photo of the actual proposal. Obviously some sort of setup. So there they are on a beach. And he is down on one knee. Um, and the, you can just see sort of through the greenery and the sand. You can see them. What do you think she's doing? <gasps> that was her. It's a shock. But that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come be one of my honoured people. Come join me and be one of my honoured people. Not, not a second cousin, but a next of kin. And there's a saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, actually... There is a family member you can choose, isn't there? You can choose Jesus to be part of your family. You follow him. You become a follower of his. And the honour you get and the joy you get is incredible because we become his family. But many of us will follow Jesus. Many of us decided long ago that this is what we wanted. And for us, I suggest, this passage is about actually reminding us to keep the commitment. Because it's one thing to say, you're married. It's another thing to walk every day to live appropriately to that marriage. See, just as if we ignore our marriages, it's easy for us to drift apart and damage relationships. So if we ignore Jesus and we forget what he is saying to us, It's easy for that first Christian joy that we often have to fade, to die away, and even to be lost altogether. No, we need to work on that relationship. We need to keep thinking about who we are and remember how great Jesus is and all that he's done for us and how he's included us and how, of course, he's humble. And we can rejoice in our new position of privilege. Because it is a great honour. So as we approach Christmas, let's follow Jesus as our Lord, keeping everything else in its proper place. And let's remember the honour and the joy that Christians have.